You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM, Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. That's the sound of the James River as heard along the falls in Richmond. On September 8, 2017, a group of river kayakers made their way down the James, carrying a message of water protection. They had just kayaked some 80 miles from the place in Buckingham County, where Dominion plans to bore under the James River in order to place the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. We're pretty good at going through rapids now, but but there's one day where we all got totally wet because it was raining all day and the temperature dropped freezing. Drop it on over. Put two on that side. With the help of dozens of Richmond friends, the kayakers added a new site to this bend in the river, a banner reading, Our Water is Greater Than Pipelines, along the Tyler Potterfield Memorial Bridge. Yeah, so we'll just put the pipeline center in the center. If the State Water Control Board grants permits for the Atlantic Coast Pipeline in December, the company would be allowed to horizontally drill underneath the James River, adding yet another point of disturbance and possible destruction of one of Virginia's most beloved waterways. Both the Atlantic Coast and Mountain Valley pipelines have been the source of growing controversy ever since their formal announcement in 2014. Governor McAuliffe, whose support for the projects has never wavered, once called the Atlantic Coast pipeline a game changer for Virginia. This pipeline, which is one of the largest that has ever been built in decades, will provide Virginia with an energy superhighway to fuel our new economy our drive become a manufacturing hub. Standing above the river rapids, surrounded by 18-story tall buildings of Richmond's downtown financial district, it's easy to forget that the James River was once a superhighway as well, one that transported enslaved people to the hub of Shaco Bottom and then exported them to points south and west like Union Hill in Buckingham County, the site where Dominion now plans to build its 50,000-plus horsepower compressor station. But if we look closely enough from this vantage point, with Dominion's headquarters on the heel of Hollywood Cemetery, we can catch a glimpse of the old Virginia economy as well, and a reminder that, in Virginia, the history of exploitation and extraction for profit is nothing new. On October 28, 2017, pipeline opponents convened a group of speakers and testimonials in Charlottesville, Virginia, to address the human rights issues related to these two proposed pipelines and the connection to systemic racism, both historic and ongoing, in Virginia. I'd like to welcome all of you here and on live stream to the People's Tribunal on the Human Rights and Environmental Justice Impacts of Frack Gas Infrastructure. I'm Lakshmi Fjord of Friends of Buckingham. 
This event arose in direct response to the violent and racist events of August 11 and 12 in Charlottesville, in which I and many here participated as nonviolent witnesses. Virginians ask ourselves, where do we stand on the racist heritage of Virginia? How and where does racism manifest itself in present-day social systems and institutions? Today, in this tribunal, one of those questions is, what direct relationship is there between the extremist racist violence perpetrated in the name of preserving Virginia's heritage in Civil War monuments that these Confederate generals explicitly didn't want, and the slow violence of locating the Atlantic Coast Pipeline's only enormous, highly toxic polluting Virginia compressor station in an 85% African-American historic Freedman community of Union Hill, Buckingham, Virginia. What are the cost benefits of racism specifically and of environmental injustices more broadly? So in other words, our intent is for this event to make testifiers' voices as widely accessible as possible. And it's also informational to inform those new to this issue using evidence of human rights concerns and environmental injustices occurring right around us, right before our eyes. For these have largely been made invisible because of the power of the forces seeking to silence and erase them. Because we haven't yet touched on the impacts to health that compressor stations can have on the people who live near them, we're first going to hear testimony from Barb Gottlieb. While listening to this testimony, it's important to keep in mind that the neighborhood of Union Hill, which is slated for the ACP's proposed compressor station, is not just an empty rural area. It's home to hundreds of people, many elderly, with health conditions that would undoubtedly be exacerbated by the things Ms. Gottlieb is about to describe. Uh, while they're getting uh, the slides set up, just want to say hello. I'm Barbara Gottlieb. I'm the National Director for Environment and Health at uh, Physicians for Social Responsibility. And I've been asked to talk about the, um, the health implications of compressor stations. You've already heard some intimations that the compressor stations bring with them uh, risks to health and to life. I would just like to remind us before we start uh, focusing on compressor stations that compressor stations don't come alone. I mean, allow me to state the obvious. You have compressor stations because you have pipelines. You have pipelines because you have fracking. We're part of a whole series of very serious threats to the environment, to health, and to life that are all part of a package deal. And they share some, although not all, of the same uh, health hazards. Next slide. So pipelines, of course, carry methane gas, but that's not all they carry. They also carry other substances that you really don't want to have coming into your home with your methane gas for your stove or for your furnace, or coming into your community with your compressor station. Um, one of the most dangerous of these are the so-called volatile organic compounds, or VOCs. These are really dangerous air toxics. We've heard reference to um, fumes, and we've heard reference to soot, and we've heard reference to people having headaches. That's barely the, barely the edge of the iceberg. Uh, there's a quartet of four volatile organic compounds that occur together so often that they're known by their four um, initials, BTEX, or the BTEX, 
uh, complex. B is for benzene. It's a known carcinogen. It, it causes cancer, and there is no safe level of exposure. Let me say that again. There is no safe level of exposure that is known. Toluene may cause birth defects, ethylbenzene, the E in the quartet. Long-term exposure may result in blood disorders. Xylene may affect the nervous system. So we're talking about things that go really to the, to the, to the basic body uh, organ systems and, and threaten us with uh, cancer and other serious diseases. And compressor stations leak these dangerous gases into the atmosphere, potentially endangering the people who live nearby. VOCs, uh, these volatile organic compounds, besides being dangerous in and of themselves, also combine with other air pollutants um, to form ground level ozone or smog. Smog is, a, is the most widespread air pollutant in the United States. Hardly exists yet in um, beautiful Buckingham County, but this is what a compressor station would bring. And it can cause permanent lung damage. It can trigger asthma attacks, aggravate other chronic lung diseases, and aggravate pre-existing heart diseases. So as you see, rather a lot more than headaches. These, um, these illnesses are particularly dangerous to people with asthma, to the elderly, and to the young. Please raise your hand if you know anybody in any of these categories. Thank you. Next slide. Okay, well, I'm going to keep talking while she looks for the, the slide on radon, because that's another dangerous gas that, um, there you go, right there, you got it, um, that comes with the package deal that comes with methane. Radon, as you probably know, it's a gas. It occurs naturally in the ground, especially in many parts of western of Virginia. And it's radioactive. That's why you get your basement tested to see if you have radon in the basement. Um, I actually didn't know this until I started learning more about compressor stations, that radon is the leading cause of cancer among non-smokers in our country and the second leading cause of lung cancer among smokers. It causes 21,000 lung cancer deaths per year nationwide, according to the EPA. And so the natural gas, which would come um, through either of these two, the ACP or the Mountain Valley pipelines, um, is likely to carry radon because the whole Marcellus shale um, is, is extracted from ground that contains radon, and then the radon comes out, out of the wells with the methane. Fortunately, radon, which is a radioactive material, breaks down or decays fairly rapidly within a matter of days. Unfortunately, as it decays, it breaks down into other radioactive substances, including radioactive forms of polonium and lead. And these have much, much longer, what we call half-lives, of um, 22 years and 138 days, respectively. These radioactive substances accumulate along the interiors of pipelines, in the sludge that accumulates in tank bottoms, gas and oil separators, and in other, as they say, pieces of natural gas infrastructure. Of course, that also includes compressor stations. Next slide, please. Uh, another air pollutant associated with compressor stations is particulate matter. A couple of our speakers have, have referred to this. Um, particulates are little tiny particles that are either solid or liquid, and it's not any particular chemical substance. Rather, they are characterized on the basis of their size. The larger particles are known as PM, or particulate matter 10, because they're 10 millimicrons across. And look at the picture. They're shown as the blue beads in the picture, where they're compared on that shaft to the size of a human hair. Pretty small, right? Okay, look a little bit closer. On the blue dots are the red dots. They represent PM or particulate matter 2.5, 2.5 millimicrons. They're, they're microscopic, not visible to the human eye. These particulates, like the VOCs, escape from the compressor stations. 
They absorb other airborne chemicals. We breathe them in. They go down into our lungs. And the, um, the larger particles, the PM10, the, the, blue dots, the, uh, the blue dots, can get trapped by your nose or in your upper respiratory system. The tiny dots, the PM2.5, are so small that they can go down through your lungs, cross the blood barrier, and be carried, be circulated in your blood throughout your entire body. That's why they're so dangerous. Um, in, inhaling PM2.5, and there's a lot of research on PM because it also is emitted, for example, from, from auto exhaust, it's found around highways and so on, can cause decreased lung function, aggravate asthma, cause non-fatal heart attacks, and contribute to high blood pressure. Again, uh, a lot of the um, really common serious threats to health we have throughout our country that compressor stations would be adding to. Long-term repeated exposures increase the risk of cardiovascular disease and death. Next slide. Thanks. Children and pregnant women are particularly sensitive to particulates, children, because their lungs are developing and growing. They breathe at a faster rate than grown-ups. We love to have them playing outdoors, or at least we thought we did. That's where they're more uh, exposed to this air. Asthmatic children are particularly vulnerable, and you probably know that asthma, um, in childhood asthma in this country is now at epidemic rates. So this, again, a major concern if you live near compressor stations. High levels of particulate pollution also cause health effects in pregnant women where it is associated with low birth weight and preterm births. Easy terms to say, <clears throat> preterm birth is the number one cause of infant death in this country. Next slide. If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. I'm Whitney Whiting, and today we're hearing excerpts from testimony that was originally presented in Charlottesville, Virginia, at the People's Tribunal on Human Rights and Environmental Justice. Speaking now is Barbara Gottlieb, National Director for Environment and Health at Physicians for Social Responsibility. As I said, we're focusing on compressor stations, but you don't get compressor stations without pipelines. You don't get pipelines without fracking. And this is what um, fracking looks like. It's heavy industrial activity. It, it requires, like the pipelines do, lots of land clearing, heavy truck traffic, diesel engines, noise, pollution, and so on. That's what's happening in your neighboring state of West Virginia. Just a reminder, let's move on. Finally, I want to talk just a little bit about methane itself. This is the, you know, the companies would say this is the good stuff. Um, it's a greenhouse gas, one of those gases like carbon dioxide that trap the sun's heat um, in the atmosphere. That's what causes climate change. It's that straightforward. And climate change, as I will just remind us very briefly in another minute, uh, makes us sick. Methane, or natural gas, is a highly potent climate uh, greenhouse gas. It's over its first 20 years in the atmosphere, it is 86 times more powerful at trapping heat than is carbon dioxide. That makes it really hard to keep world temperatures livable, meaning that this is not a threat just to Buckingham County or Roanoke County or Virginia or the United States. This is a global threat. And, and here's the problem. Methane leaks throughout frac gas operations from the frac gas wells themselves through the pipelines, through the compressor stations, and even from the pipes that bring, if you have um, a gas stove or gas heating, as I have in my home, um, it leaks from the pipes that bring the gas to your home. All these leaks contribute to climate change at exactly the time when we need to be uh, 
reducing our greenhouse gas emissions if we're to cut uh, catastrophic climate change. Next slide. Just real quickly, I wanted to remind us visually, what does climate change look like? Look guys, here's Houston, Texas this year. Next slide. Here's California this year. Next slide. Climate change contributes to more frequent and more intense storms, which means more floods, more erosion, more sewage contamination, the spread of disease carriers like mosquitoes. Next slide. In other parts of the United States, the same climate change, change is contributing to droughts. Welcome to Charlottesville. Um, which can severely impact crop production, increase the um, presence of that dangerous particulate matter in the air, and also increase the formation of ozone, which forms in the presence of sunlight and heat. And heat, although we don't necessarily um, recognize it all that often, is one of the most dangerous um, effects of climate change. Thank you very much. Next, we'll hear from Andrew Tyler of the Coalition of Woodland Nations. Andrew was actually the first speaker to deliver testimony that day in Charlottesville. Wengapo. I greet you in the language of my father's people. My name is Andrew Tyler. I am a member of the Coalition of Woodland Nations. We are the descendants of the original people of this continent. We were here first. We have been here for thousands of years. We have always been here. We are still here. 500 years ago, my ancestors watched as the first boat people, the first undocumented aliens, the settlers, the colonists, the invaders, arrived in our lands in their wooden boats from a faraway place. They were armed with the doctrine of discovery. They looked upon our homes and claimed eminent domain. And they began to take and take and take. When they were starving, we gave them food. They gave us smallpox and alcohol. They gave us bullets and cannon fire, genocide and forced relocation. They took our children and put them in boarding schools. They gave us 500 plus years of colonization. But despite their best efforts to eradicate us, we are still here. This red tear that I read under my left eye I wear to acknowledge the sacrifices of my ancestors. They suffered much and gave much so that I can stand here before you today and I give them thanks. When I look to the future, I think of my grandson. When he has grandchildren of his own, what will the world be like? Will he have clean air to breathe, clean water to drink? This is why I'm before you today. My grandson is counting on me. We as Native people are taught to make decisions with the future generations in mind. My ancestors thought seven generations in the past, in, in, ahead, and I'm looking seven generations into the future. I can't let him down. 
look around you. You'll see that I'm not alone in this. So here we are today, 500 years later, and the dominant culture still looks upon our homes and claims eminent domain. Only now, they're not only looking at native people, but non-native people as well. People with homes and farms and businesses. Corporate entities and their political allies who are blinded by the sickness of greed. They're pitiful. I pray for their grandchildren as well as my own. The Atlantic Coast Pipeline and the Mountain Valley Pipeline will be constructed to the traditional homelands of the original people of West Virginia, Virginia, and North Carolina. The Monacan, the Meharan, the Lumbee, the Halawasaponi, and the Tuscarora, to name a few. The mountains and the valleys and waterways, we still hold these places as sacred because this is where our ancestors grew up and died and are buried. <coughs> These pipelines will also go through lands occupied by many non-natives as well. Some of these people will come before you today. I humbly ask that you listen to the testimonies of the citizens coming before you today. Listen with your hearts. Listen with your grandchildren in mind. Long ago, we tried to teach the settlers to live in harmony with the land. They would not listen. Listen to me now. We can live without the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. We can live without the Mountain Valley Pipeline. We cannot live without clean water. We cannot live without clean air and clean land to grow our food. In closing, I give thanks for the honor and privilege of being able to stand before you today. I give you many blessings. Buscone. And we're going to end this episode with testimony delivered by Ray Kimball of Dimmick, Pennsylvania, who brought a sample of his water to show what's happened since fracking and pipelines came through his town. That's Dimmick well water right there. It's, it's hard watching this. Difficult. These are DEP testing that shows the chemicals that are in this water. Right now, I'm literally being sued for $5 million by this industry for breaking the gag order. We're standing here talking to all of you right now. This is what's going on. You want to know what pipelines do? This is what happens with pipelines. They go bang. I've already had two compressor stations around my house go boom. Every compressor station they put in Susquehanna County has gone bang. I have 18 wells around my house. I can't breathe. I have no water. I worked for the industry for three and a half years driving a water truck. Because after DEP lied to us and tried to cover everything up that was going on, I went to work for industry to find out the truth of what really was going on. You get on a drill site, I'm just a dumb truck driver. Company man tell you anything you want. What's going on over here? What are you doing here? What's here? And they just start to tell you, just dumb truck driver. When they realized me and two other men were whistleblowers and we were turning them in to DEP, EPA for all the illegal dumping and everything that was going on, there's suddenly no work for us today. They don't want to fire us because if you fire us, we could collect unemployment. 
So you're on the books and there's just no work for you today. They like to turn around and use all sorts, you know, it was naturally occurring, it's always been that way. I have a pretest by this company back in 2008 showing no methane and there was nothing in my water. DEP just tested the water a few weeks ago and the test results came back with methane and other chemicals in the water due to gas drilling and fracking. They say there's no danger in this whatsoever. Bull, there is danger in every aspect of this industry. Like I said, DEP testing shows manganese, uranium, everything you can think of, thorium, I mean, and the list goes on and on and on of chemicals. Don't think you can get these chemicals out of that frack gas. It's in the gas that's gonna be pumped into your houses. I don't care what they say, everything they say is a lie. I mean, it's so bad, we signed a gag order that we were forced to sign by this industry. Our own attorneys threw us under the bus back in 2010, said, take her to leave it off her. You take this and sign this, we're not gonna go to court. Really? He goes, well, you don't sign it? Here's an $80,000 bill. We'll sue you, take your house. You're a pro bono lawyer, but this is what happened to us. So we signed the gag order so we didn't get sued. I've been speaking for five years on this. Now they're suing me for $5 million and they want a permanent gag order to shut me up. Well, you ain't gonna shut me up. I'm here to talk about it. Y'all need to know what's going on. These are consent orders signed between DEP and the gas company that's there, stating they contaminated the water, the air, and everything in Susquehanna County. And they still are permitted to do business in our state. People, we have a problem. And this industry needs to be stopped. I drove seven hours to be here to talk to you. I've been here before on this, okay, to make sure this doesn't happen to you. And believe me, the pipeline is just the beginning of the infrastructure. Then we bring in the drill rigs and then everything else follows right behind it. And there is shale in Virginia. Don't think there's not. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. To hear more testimony from the People's Tribunal and catch up on all episodes of End of the Line, go to soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast. Special thanks to Tom Burkett, Lainey Sullivan, Jameson Price, and the organizers who made the People's Tribunal possible. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com.